was back on October the 2nd, 1864, that one of the worst battles of the American Civil War was fought. 2,800 Confederate soldiers went up against more than 4,500 Union soldiers. And this battle, this particular battle, is known and it has a reputation for being one of the worst atrocities ever committed on American soil. It was the bloodiest, it, it was just a terrible, terrible, terrible battle. And you would ask why this battle was fought. Was this battle fought over a strategic location that would shorten the war? And the answer to that is no. It was not. As a matter of fact, it was an out-of-the-way, middle-of-nowhere sort of a place. Well, was this battle fought because somehow it, it would have some kind of strategic significance? Really, it, it didn't. In terms of the location, the battle was fought for one reason and one reason only. The battle was fought in Saltville, Virginia. And it was the place where the Confederate soldiers got their salt. And the Union went up against it because it knew that if it got the salt, it would win the war. Salt is important. I think that's why Jesus, when he talked about what we were to be as Christians, he said that we are to be important. We are to be as salt in the earth. We are called to be witnesses to the goodness and the grace of Jesus Christ. We're to show the love of God in our lives to everyone around us. So let me ask you a question this morning. What kind of a witness are you? Are you being the salt and the light that God has called you to be? Let's turn our Bibles to Matthew chapter 5 verses 13 to 16. Matthew chapter 5 verses 13 to 16. This is what it says. It says, You are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Jesus is saying here are three things, three important things about what we are to be as Christians. Number one, he's talking about our properties. Our properties, our composition. Salt is made up of sodium chloride. The thing that makes salt salty is sodium chloride. That particular mineral, when it comes up against our tongue, there are certain receptors, and when it sees the sodium chloride, it says, oh, that's salty. Salt is salty because of its composition, because how it is made. It is impossible for salt to not be salty, because sodium chloride is sodium chloride. However, it is possible for salt to be diluted to be mixed with other things so that you don't taste the salt that's within us, that's within it. Why is salt so important? 
Do you know that every year more than 40 million tons of salt is produced? In ancient Greece, salt was very important. And a matter of fact, salt was so valuable that it was traded in exchange for slaves and servants. Thus the expression, oh, that person is not worth their salt. <laughs> you ever wondered why a person would say that? They're not worth their salt. Because a person had paid for that servant in salt. And if someone wasn't a good servant, he wasn't worth their salt. He wasn't worth the salt that you paid in exchange for that slave. In the Roman legions, as the Romans went out, they were paid in salt. This payment of salt was known as the solarium argumentium. And that's where we get the word salary today. What is salary? Salary literally means you are being paid in salt. When Napoleon was fighting his battle and coming against the city of Moscow, they were unsuccessful, and as they were retreating, they ran out of salt. And because they ran out of salt, the soldiers' wounds would not heal. And literally hundreds of thousands of men died, simply because they had no salt. Without salt, you are in trouble. The body only contains four ounces of salt, but it has to contain at least that. You see, because without enough salt, your muscles do not contract. Your blood does not circulate. You cannot digest food. And your heart will not beat a single beat. Salt is the very essence of life. It's important. And it's always salty. Until it becomes diluted. Once salt has been diluted, there is nothing that can make it salty again. There's nothing that can, you can do to kind of bring it back into its pure form. And so when Jesus was talking with his disciples, he was saying to them, salt that loses its saltiness is worthless. What he's saying is this. As Christians, we are all salt. When you became a a believer in Jesus Christ, God sent His Holy Spirit to live within you. You have all of the fullness of God living within you. No Christian receives more Holy Spirit than another. You got it all when you came to know Him as Lord. But, the extent to which that Spirit can work in your life and make a difference and shine out and so that others can see it, that is your responsibility. The issue is not whether or not you're salty. The issue is, have you taken that salt and have you diluted it with so many other things in your life that people can no longer taste the saltiness that you offer? The issue is one of purity. Hudson Taylor was a pioneer missionary to China. And it said that on one of his journeys, Hudson Taylor was going with a bunch of, of young Chinese men that had come to Christ and were now his disciples. And there was this one young man by the name of Peter. And they were traveling on a ship. And Peter was standing very close to the side of the ship. And he was leaning on the railing. And as he was leaning on the railing, he slipped and he went over. And he fell into the water. Peter didn't know how to swim. However, the good news was, was that there was a fishing boat just a few feet away from where he fell into the water. 
And so Hudson Taylor called down to these fishermen who were pulling in their nets. He said, hey, my friend has fallen in just there beside you. Just reach over and pull him to safety. He can't swim. And the fishermen kept pulling in their nets. And he called again, please, please, my friend can't swim. He's there. He's just beside you. Just reach out your hand and pull him to safety. And they kept pulling in their nets. And finally, when the net had been pulled into the boat, one of the fishermen jumped over the side and grabbed Peter. But by that time, it was too late. By that time, he had drowned. And later, some of those disciples came to Hudson Taylor and they said, those men, those fishermen were so evil. They're so unjust. How could they allow this poor man to fall into the water and to drown just a, a, a reach away? And Hudson Taylor simply said, you know, that reminds me a lot of the church today. There are so many believers who are just like that. They're going about their lives and they're so busy with so much stuff that here they don't see that just an arm's reach away are people dying in their sins, going to hell, and yet they don't reach out and extend a hand to pull that person to safety. Jesus talks about our properties. If you are a believer in Christ, then you are salt. By nature of its chemical composition, salt is salty. Anybody ever picked up a scoop of salt and put it in your coffee thinking it was sugar? <laughs> How did that turn out for you? Not so good, right? Salt and sugar look exactly the same, but they're totally different. Why? because of their properties. And you may look like someone average in the world. You may walk down the street and you know there may not be any a big halo over your head or anything like that. But if you are a believer in Christ, you are different. You are different because God has made you different. Our properties number 1. Number 2. Jesus goes on to talk about our position. He moves from talking about salt to talking about light. Lamps are lit to provide light. That is the purpose of a lamp. You don't just buy a lamp because it looks pretty. Ah, well, okay, some people do. <laughs> but the purpose of a lamp is to produce light. And that's what good lamps do. They produce light. When we lived in Niagara-on-the-Lake, we uh, had, had uh, built ourselves a home. And when the builders came in, they were saying, well, where do you want us to put the fixtures? Where, I mean, where do you want us to place the lights? And we just said, I don't know, place them anywhere, you know? And they said, no, 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 you don't understand, you know? Lights are important. You have to put the lights where they will shine and create the maximum amount of light within the house. The placement of a lamp, the placement of a light is extremely important. If you don't put the lights in just the right places, there will be parts of your house that will be in darkness. Lamps are lit to shine. They're not lit so that they can be covered and so that light can be hidden. David Livingston was a, a great pioneer missionary in Africa. And after many years of serving in Africa, some people from his home church in England decided that they wanted to come and they wanted to help David Livingston with his work. And so they wrote this letter. The missionary committee wrote this letter. They said, some people would like to join you. What is the easiest way to get to where you are? 
And what did Livingston write back? He wrote this. If you are looking for the easiest road, tell the people to stay in England. I want people who will come even if there is no road at all. In other words, I'm here in Africa to be a light. And if you're not coming to be a light, then don't come at all. That's the purpose of a light, isn't it? Lamps are placed where they can be the most and brightest. That's why it says a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Why can a city on a hill not be hidden? Because it's in plain view. There's no trees in the way. There's no mountains in the way. There's nothing in the way. A city on a hill is seen because it is unobscured. And that's what God calls us to do. To shine the light of Jesus Christ in a way that is unobscured. But the reality is, is that any light can be hidden. Any light can be covered. Sometimes Christians are like that. They love shining brightly in places where no one can see them. The reality of most Christians is that they grow up and live their entire lives in places where there is already light. They're raised in a Christian home, they go off to a Christian school, they surround themselves with Christian friends, they go work in a Christian workplace. They die and they're buried in a Christian church. They spend their entire life from birth to death never impacting the darkness at all. Studies show that the moment a person becomes a Christian, they begin severing all ties to their former life and they become more and more and more ingrown within the Christian community. You know what that means? That means that we as Christians do a terrible job at being in the world like Jesus called us to be. Our job is to be out in places of darkness. But the reality is, is that very often we, we're not. Let me ask you a question. It's a simple question. It's a question I've asked before. How many non-Christians do you have as a friend? Let me ask you an even deeper question. How many non-Mennonites do you have as a friend? Can you name me one? Do you have a single non-Mennonite friend? The reality is a lot of people here in this room would say to that question, no. Every person I know, every person I work with, every person I relate to, every person that I surround myself with is already a believer in Jesus Christ. You know what? That's not right. That's not right. God has called us to be in the world. Any form of Christianity that isolates yourself from the world is wrong. And can I say this very truthfully? That a lot of us here in this room have grown up in cultures that told you the opposite. You were told when you were growing up that you were supposed to be isolated. You were told when you were growing up that you had to be separate from the world. That purity is being found in being separate. And so you isolated yourself from the world. You, you, you got into community and you stayed within that community. And it's kind of like all the light got together and got under this great big bowl so that the, 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 the darkness couldn't somehow infect it. But that isn't the religion. That isn't the Christianity that Jesus talked about. 
Jesus said that we are called to be in the world, not of the world. That means we let that light shine. But the light has to come in contact with darkness. At some point, that light has to influence the darkness. And it isn't a contest. There's no contest between light and darkness. Darkness is simply the absence of light. Darkness exists because the light has not penetrated it. That's the only way that darkness can exist if the light does not go. And we love to come and we love to gather in a building and the light shines so bright and the songs that are sung and everything that's done and it's great, it's, it's encouraging. But it can't stay within the walls of a building because this is one big bowl, isn't it? It has to get out. It has to penetrate beyond the walls of this building into the areas around us. William Barclay once said this, Christianity is something which is meant to be seen. As someone has well said, there can be no such thing as secret discipleship. For either the secrecy destroys the discipleship or the discipleship destroys the secrecy. A man's Christianity should be perfectly visible to all men. So what kind of a stand have you found for your light? Is there a dark place that you could be penetrating? You know, a lot of parents use their kids and, and sporting events. You know, they take their kids and play hockey or they play soccer so that they can get their kids involved in clubs so that they can meet parents of non-Christian kids, you know, non-Christian parents, so that they can use that as an opportunity. Other people have barbecues and invite the neighbors over. Other people do... do but, but you have to think about it. It has to be intentional. You have to look for dark places and how am I as a light going to get into that dark place and to be able to shine the light of Jesus into it it takes effort and you have to be intentional about it and you have to do it because it's why you were created it's your purpose your position number two number three your purpose the purpose of a lamp is to produce light. That's why they're created. A purpose of a refrigerator is to keep things cold. They make lousy doorstops. You know, you can use it as an anchor, but it's not going to work well. What does a refrigerator do really well? Keeps things cold, right? I mean, you can hammer in a nail with a shoe, but you're just going to wreck the shoe. Because shoes aren't designed to be hammers. Hammers were designed to be hammers. Shoes are designed to keep your feet, you know, warm and, and safe. And God created you to be salt. God created you to be light. That is your purpose. What's the purpose of salt? You ever thought about that? What's the purpose of salt? How do we use salt? Of the 40 million tons of salt that we, that we mine each year and, and, and go through, what is it used for? Well, number one. Salt adds flavoring. It adds flavoring. I mean, think about food that has no salt. Now, I've got to admit, you know, I'm someone that kind of has high blood pressure, so I'm not supposed to eat a lot of salt. But that doesn't mean I don't like it. Right? What would potato chips be like without salt? Ugh. Greasy, dead potatoes. That's what they'd be. Potato chip without a salt is unappealing. There's a lot of food that just requires salt. It just needs salt. It's just not right without it. But you put a little bit of salt on it. Ooh, now we're talking. 
You see, salt adds flavor. What would the world be like without the salt of Jesus Christ? What would the world be like without his church? Think about that. I hear people from time to time putting down Canada. Oh, this country is so godless. Oh, this country is so evil. This country is so terrible. You know, I, I, we need to just go live somewhere else. You know what? Go live somewhere else and see how good you have it in this nation. Canada was founded on biblical principles. Not as much as in the United States. But Canada does have a solid Christian foundation. I tell you, go to a place that is not founded upon those Christian principles and you will see the difference. Live for 10 years in Kuwait like we did. Go to a place in the Middle East that does not have that Christian foundation and you will realize immediately how different this society is. I mean, you walk through the store, you say hi to people. You know, you're driving your car, someone lets you in in front of you. You know, these are things that don't happen in other places. It's because that there is that salt. There is that, that, that flavoring that is here. That we are making a difference in the world. So where could you add flavor? Where could you be adding something to the world around you? and making it just a little bit of a tastier place. That the world is just a little bit of a better place because of you. When people meet you, do they walk away saying, oh, that was good. Hmm, that person, wow, that person tasted good. I know, not, that, not that they lick your cheek or anything like that, come on. But just the fact that they meet you and, and they walk away thinking, that's a nice person. You know, that's a, or do they walk away? Ugh. That person. Oof, I think I've had enough of that. You know? How do people respond to you? Are you bringing the flavor of Jesus into relationships? Do people see in you something that is good and something that is worthwhile? Salt adds flavor. Salt, number two, one of the other big reasons that we use salt... Not so much these days, but historically, is that salt acts as a preservative. People years ago before refrigeration used to pack meat and pack fish in salt. Why? Because when you put the fish, when you put the meat in salt, it drew out all the bacteria and the, the blood and all that kind of stuff, and it just preserved it. You could put a fish, I mean, you, you catch a fish and you stick it out in the heat, and that fish is going to begin to rot real quick. You take out a steak, you slap it down on the sidewalk, and you come back you know, a couple days later. Do you expect to have a steak that's going to be yummy and ready to eat? Probably not, right? Because it's, it's going to rot. Because meat that's just left out in the sun begins to rot. But you take that same meat and you pack it in salt, and that, that'll last for months and months. Salt helps to stop decay. And likewise, that's what God has called us to do. God has... The church's purpose on earth is to stop the decay of society. Let me tell you, the more and more that the church shrinks in this nation, the less influence. I mean, the schools, you say, no, we can't have kids praying in school. And, you know, we can't be saying prayers, you know, in, in government places. And, and we can't be having Christmas. And we can't be doing this. And we can't... The more and more and more 
that Christianity is marginalized in this country, you will begin to see the decay. You will begin to see the rot. Just look at the media. Look at the kind of movies and the kind of stuff that they create these days. The kind of garbage that is just in front of everybody to see. It's just decay. And the reason is, is because the church is no longer being able to stop that. Because the church has lost its prominent place in society. The more you remove Jesus Christ, the more society will begin to rot. And the more decay you will see, and the more sickness you will see in society around us. Salt adds flavoring. It acts as a preservative. You know what else salt does? One of the major, in Canada, one of the major reasons that we have salt, one of the biggest uh, uses of salt, is in the wintertime. Right? What does salt do? Salt melts ice. You take salt, you throw it on ice, and what does it do? That salt works its way into the water, and when the water and the salt come together, you have salt water. And salt water has a much lower freezing point than regular water. That means that water that is frozen at zero degrees becomes a liquid when salt is added. It melts the ice. And you know what else salt does that's really cool? Not only does it lower the freezing point of water, it also raises the boiling point of water. So if you put wa- salt in, in, a, in water and cook with it, you're going to be able to cook things faster in water that has salt because the water is hotter than before. It raises the boiling point of the water. So what does that mean in society around us? That means that we as Christians are called to move into situations where hearts have been frozen over by sin. Where people are hard to the truth of God. You come in, and and you know what? As a Christian, you are able to just speak a few words. Just through your testimony. People are able to see in you something that they don't see in themselves. And that sometimes is enough to just melt that heart that has been hardened over and let the love of Jesus Christ flow in. Or you know what? It raises the boiling point. You know, there are people that that fly off the handle so easy. They get angry and they just explode so easily. But Christ comes into your life. And Christ begins to do a work in your heart. And pretty soon you realize that you're not yelling at your kids as much as you used to. And, And you're not blowing up in anger as much as you used to. You realize that the addition of Jesus into your life has changed your heart has made you a better person. And as other people see that with Jesus, you're a better father, and you're a better husband, and you're a better employee, and you're a better employer, that you are better as a person because of Jesus. You know what? People want that as well. It's very, very attractive to other people. The last thing that salt does is that salt increases thirst. Anybody ever made the mistake of going on a long trip with your kids and feeding them lots of salty food and forgetting to bring water? <laughs> yeah, that's a mistake. <laughs> Dad, we're really thirsty. Yeah, only have five more hours to go. Just hang on there. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's going to be a long five hours, right? You know that if you take salty food with you, you've got to take a lot of drinks because salt increases thirst. Why do you think that bars and taverns give people free peanuts and free pretzels and free chips? They just put them out there for people to eat. It's like, oh, well, thank you very much. This is nice. No, it's, it's not like... They're not giving out carrot sticks, right? 
They're not giving out, you know, salad to people. It's, they're giving people stuff that's salty because they know that if you put a bowl of chips in front of people, they're going to order twice as much to drink as they would if you didn't. See, they're very smart because they understand that salt increases thirst. I heard a story about a young salesman who was disappointed that he had lost a big sale. So he went to his manager and he said, well, you know, I really, really tried to sell this guy something, but, you know, I guess you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. And his manager said, no, no, no. Your job as a salesman is not to make a horse drink. Your job as a salesman is to make the horse thirsty. Because once the horse is thirsty, then it will drink. And that sales is making people thirsty. It's making people want something. So how are we increasing thirst in the people that are around us? How are we being a preservative in the society that's around us? You know, I heard the story of a man who went to New York and he landed at the airport and he asked a cab to take him to his hotel. And as they're driving to the hotel, he's driving along and there's a red light and that taxi goes screaming through that red light. And the guy freaks out in the back and says, Whoa, wait a minute, you just went through a red light. The guy goes, oh, it's okay, it's okay. My brother does it all the time. They get to the next red light. And the guy goes flying through it as well. He says, are you kidding? You're going to get us killed. It's okay, it's okay. My brother does it all the time. They get to the next light. That light's green and the guy stops. He says, what are you stopping for? The light is green. He goes, yeah, but you never know when my brother's going to be coming along. <laughs> Sometimes the world is like that. You know, we're stopping at green and we're going at red. The devil is trying to turn the world upside down. But we're called to make a difference. You know, I love what the youth did last Friday. Or a week ago when they did this chalk thing. They went down to the marina. And you saw all these things that they just wrote in chalk. And by the way, they were allowed to do that. They did call the police, and the police said, yeah, that's fine, it just washes away, so it's not vandalism or anything like that. You know, I wouldn't recommend going down there with spray paint and trying that, because you may get yourself in a lot of trouble. But you know what? These kids, they just went down there, and it was just something simple to do. Just write, God is love. I, you know, I went fishing last Monday, and... As we were putting the boat in, I was standing there at the dock, and as I was about to go walk in the boat, I looked down, and there in the concrete beneath me was, God loves you. And I said, yes, he does. Yes, he does. I'm glad I know that God loves me. But what about the other fishermen that are going to be getting into their boats that may not know that truth? What about the other people that are just walking along and they see God is love? And maybe the Holy Spirit is going to use something as simple as that to open the doors to set someone free. I thought to myself, they could have come into this church building. They could have writ, God is love in chalk all over the walls of this church. They could have wrote scripture verses in every room. They could have written whatever they wanted inside the walls of this building. You know what? They didn't. They didn't. They went out onto the street. And you know what Pete showed me during the week? That somebody who lives in Leamington had tweeted this thing. And what did it, where is Pete? What did it say, Pete? Is, if he's here? I don't think he's here. It basically said this. 
A bunch of Christians vandalized the marina. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, yes, we're known for our vandalism. No, not quite. You know, no. People noticed. People saw it. They may not have liked it, but they saw it. Those scripture verses, those words of truth. God has given you chalk. Where are you writing about his love? God has given you a voice. He's given you his word. He's put his spirit within you. He's created you to be a light. He's created you to be salt. Where are you doing that? Who are you talking to? Where are you sharing his love? You know, back in 1985, there was a... a in New Orleans, they had this party at the end of the year. They had pools, public pools all over New Orleans. And, and more than 200 lifeguards got together at this party because... That year, 1985, that summer, not a single person had died in a drowning. And so more than 200 lifeguards got together and they had this big celebration. There was music and there was dancing and everyone was having a great time and they were all celebrating the fact that, man, a whole year, whole summer had gone by, not a single death by drowning. And at the end of the party, the guy was turning off the lights and as he was cleaning up, he looked down into the pool. And there in the pool that they had all been partying around, there was a guy face down in the deep end. One of the lifeguards had hit his head and had drowned, surrounded by more than 200 other lifeguards. He had drowned in their midst. And I wonder to myself, as a church sometimes like that? Celebrating the love of Jesus in the midst of those that still have not heard about him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, for this wonderful opportunity that we have today to celebrate your goodness and, and celebrate the fact that you are changing lives. And Father, we're going to hear, we've heard some testimonies today. And I know in the, in the German service, they heard a, a number of testimonies. And this evening, Lord, as these dozen people are coming forward to get baptized, Lord, we're going to be hearing even more testimonies. And Father, we celebrate the fact that you are a God who is good and that you are a God who changes lives. And Father, I can testify how you have changed my life. And yet, Father, we recognize that all around us we are surrounded by people. We are surrounded by a community and a nation and a world that does not understand yet your love. They don't understand the change that a relationship with Jesus Christ can make. But Father, you have called us to be salt, and you have called us to be light, and you have called us to make a difference. And so Father, I pray that as we leave this place, we would not leave our chalk, that we would take it with us, and that we would write your love into every person's heart, into every life, into every neighbor, into every relationship that we have from outside this church. That Father, we would be the light and the salt you have called us to be. We thank you, Lord, for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you stand with us? We'll sing.